Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the peoples, chief priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, we praise you. We thank you for your word. It's living and active. And we pray now that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the truths that you have for us today through your spirit working in our heart. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Now, this week was a short week for all of us, as New Year's was on Monday, and it was also a short, short week for Karen and I as we celebrated our 27th anniversary. Yay, that's a good milestone for us. Thank you, thank you. It was a good time to reminisce about the past 26 years and remember the grace of God at work in our marriage. One way we do that is to recall to each other how we celebrate how we celebrated each anniversary. Now, you can imagine as we're getting older that that's a little bit more of a challenge. Um, and though, and I think this was actually the, the first time that we were not able to, on the first sitting, to, to recall what we were doing and where we were on each anniversary. But I think one thing that was certain for both of us is that our marriage has really been a journey of growing in faith and grace and love of God and reminding ourselves of his love for us. Now, when we were getting ready to return home, um, and by the way, we did finally remember the last three, the three years that we couldn't. Um, so my brain is still working, even a little bit, more, little bit more slowly, but still working. But when we got ready to return home, I began thinking about how to preach the sermon. And really better yet was how to preach a section of scripture that many of us are very, very familiar with. You know, if you've been here at ACC for any length of time, you, we usually preach on this at least every couple years. You hear the same story. We do, we do a lot of the similar songs as, as the holidays in general are. However, for this particular section of scripture, most of what we know about this section of scripture doesn't really come from scripture. It comes from our carols and our hymns, and most of that isn't scripture at all. It's simply tradition. So, for example, we read in the first Noel how many wise men came to visit Jesus. 
You know, you'd all say three, right? That's what it says in the first Noel. Or if you know the song, we three kings, right? So how many wise men? Three. But in reality, we don't know how many wise men actually showed up to visit Jesus. I, was it three? I don't know. Maybe. You know, even in our house, if you come to my house during the holidays, you'll notice Karen and I have a crash, and it usually sits underneath the Christmas tree or next to the Christmas tree. And we always put our wise men on their camels across the living room, and they're traveling on their camels to come to visit baby Jesus or a toddler Jesus. Um, and that's the way we show that, you know, that this, this story. But did the wise men show up to see Jesus on camels? No idea. The text doesn't tell us any of these things that we might want to know, but we do sing about them in our hymns and our carols, and that's fine, Nanny. Those things may be true, but just keep in mind that much of what we know regarding this story is simply tradition. It's not coming from Scripture itself. Look, Matthew provides really very little information about the wise men. They likely weren't kings. Maybe they were, but most likely they were not. Details such as where they came from, their origin, so forth, we have no idea. Just, it's really a mystery. They actually, um, their names are even a mystery. Now, I have, it's called the Fontani, Fontini Crash, which is my parents' family always collected these characters for our crash. And the names of the, the wise men are come on the box, right? I didn't know this growing up. I never heard this, right? So their names are Casper, Melkor, and Balthazar. Now, have you ever heard that before? Some of you probably have. Um, but do, is that their names? No, no idea. We, we have no idea that those names were given to the wise men in the, in the late uh, or the early Middle Ages. All right, they became associated with those names. Now, Matthew does specifically tell us that the Magi hailed from the east. You know, is that Iran? Is that Iraq? Is that China? No idea. Maybe. Text just really doesn't tell us. However, we can make some educated guess based on history regarding the wise men and who they were as uh, not them, these guys particularly, but as a cultural group that existed within history. They most likely did belong to a diverse group of people that could have included Zoroastrians, Medes, Persians, Arabs, and maybe even Jews. We also know from history that Magi or wise men served as court advisors who specialized in making forecasts and predictions for their royal patrons based on their extensive knowledge of the stars. Magi were known to, to visit various kingly courts, often, carrying, often covering vast distances, coming to witness the birth of a king or a coronation of a king while bringing gifts with them. We do know that from history that these kinds of things did happen. Matthew deliberately mentions to us the Magi to affirm Jesus's royal status. And their arrival was deemed a significant event by Herod. The arrival to Jerusalem deeply concerned Herod and disturbed the whole city of Jerusalem, is what the text tells us. And there's a reason for that. The Magi possibly arrived with their own guards, with soldiers, to protect themselves in these long journeys. And this stirred the city. People in that age and culture knew that wise men, these people who studied the stars, who had certain gifts and, and were sort of the the intelligentsia of their age um, brought certain things with them. And so this stirred the city, maybe also because soldiers and guards came with them and people weren't sure what was happening. Neither was Herod. You know, they journeyed a long way, we're told, to meet the king. And notice, though, that they came to do something which I think is rather strange in the text, right? They came there uh, to do, to offer worship as dignitaries. They weren't, to the best of our knowledge, Jewish. 
but as dignitaries, they came to worship this newborn king, to pay homage to him, to bring gifts to him. <clears throat> Somehow they understood that this newborn king was somebody special. Uh, not just any king, but somebody I could bring, that they were going to worship. Now, we think, historically, we think that might be the case because if you can think back to Israelite history, you'll know that in the late 400 BCs, what happened to Israel, right? They were sent into exile. And if you go to the story and you read about Daniel, uh, Daniel is one of, the, one of the high officials, one of the knowledgeable officials in the king's court, and he's exiled to Babylon and put in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. So a lot of Bible scholars and commentators think that because Daniel went to that part of the world, that some of the, at least, historical knowledge around our, the, the Old Testament went with him. And that these wise men may have had access to Daniel's writings, to Isaiah's writings, and they knew, at least had this idea of a future king who would come to Israel. They also offer the first reference to the worship of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And notice, it doesn't come from religious leaders or from authorities. Much like last week where Anna and Simeon are the first ones to, to bring worship to Jesus, the rest of Israel is unaware, seemingly unaware, that the Messiah has come. And yet here we have both Simeon and Anna who were looking for them last week. We talked about, and now these these wise men from the foreign land who were more aware than the Jewish nation that the Messiah had arrived, that the king had arrived. The Magi in our story in the, in the Gospel of Matthew showed up rather mysteriously, and then just as quickly, they are gone. They're not really mentioned again. They're nowhere else mentioned in Scripture. So with all that mystery and a lack of detail, what can we say about them? Really, not very much. If I'm being honest with you. So today, what I want to look at is the journey that they took. Specifically, I want us to note that this was a journey of faith, a journey of risk, and a journey of worship. The Magi began their journey from their homeland when they saw a star rise. This unknown celestial event led them to undertake a long, dangerous journey to Bethlehem. Like Abraham before them, they willingly left the comfort of their homeland in search of Jesus. They didn't know how long it would take, and they didn't know exactly where they were going. They were simply, by faith, following the celestial star of this event to get to this newborn king. They were convinced of this king's existence, and they were determined to find him. They willingly sacrificed everything, their time, their money, and even their lives, in a sense, to find King Jesus. They willingly went out into danger. And again, we don't know how far they came from, but if they were coming from, say, Iraq or Iran, that's hundreds of miles, hundreds of miles, thousands of miles through dangerous territory. Uh, and they willingly did this to find the king of the Jews. This narrative of faith, our own included, unfolds daily for us as a journey as well. And here's the truth for us. We're on this journey together. We're not alone. But we as a church stand, in a sense, at the crossroads between the certainty of the past, that which has already happened, and the unpredictability of the future. And the question we must answer is this. Are we ready to embrace the uncertainty of the journey in this new year that's before us? We don't know what's to come, what God has in store for us, but are we willing to take the next step together toward a renewed understanding of God's purpose for us individually, and for us as a church? 
Are we willing to trust in the promise Christ offers to transform each of us and all of us together into something new? <clears throat> Jesus is calling us into new life. Not eventually or after you die, but new life today, right now. He longs for us to reorder our lives around him. Church, that only happens as we personally encounter Jesus daily. And how do we do that? We encounter him daily through his word, through prayer, through the spirit, and through his people. And as we encounter him daily, it will lead us to bow our hearts in adoration by offering ourselves fully and completely to him, regardless of what tomorrow may bring. You know, are you willing, are you desiring in this new year to step out in faith and trust Jesus to lead us into the new year, whatever may come? Even as the journey of the wise men symbolized faith, it was equally fraught with danger. They arrived in Jerusalem thinking this was, or this is where the newborn king would be found. Maybe even thinking that this was the child of King Herod. Through no fault of their own, they became pawns in the murderous heart of King Herod, who desired nothing more than the death of this usurping king. We know that Herod was a maniacal and murderous king. Historically, he had his, at least one of his wives killed, put to death, and a number of his children uh, killed because he was worried about protecting his throne. And he would have killed Jesus if the wise men had not been warned in a dream. Like the Magi Church, no matter how we look at it, embracing the Christian faith and walking in faith involves risk for, for us. The Magi took a risk on their journey, and we as Christians are taking a risk every day. Every day. More and more, taking a stand for biblical truth can lead to mockery, can lead to scorn, or, or worse. Not only that, but we live in a dangerous world, and God nowhere ever promises that we will not face hardships and difficulty in this life. This pattern isn't new. Jesus faced ridicule, even torture, before dying on the cross. Sometimes we forget and willingly or unwillingly overlook the teaching of the New Testament. That is, persecution and suffering are part and parcel for the Christian, for the Christian life. In 2 Timothy, Paul says this, and he writes this, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be per persecuted. Not some, not a few, but everyone who is a Christian will face persecution at some time or another. And in 1 Peter 4, Peter says this, and I, and I love this little section here in 1 Peter where he writes, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Our journey and life as Christians is full of peril and struggle. And yet the promise of scripture is that God doesn't leave us to our own devices. That is, he doesn't leave us alone. Yes, we're going to struggle. Yes, we may be persecuted. Yes, life will be hard. That we can almost guarantee. But God doesn't leave us to struggle and live alone. He comes with us and walks with us. Our journey 
Our journey isn't alone. And that's, if I could get anything across today, is that we, as believers in Christ, we are on this journey together. And we suffer together, and we live together, and we're here to encourage one another through that suffering. You know, I love this verse in Isaiah 43. Uh, many of you may know it. It's been one of these verses for me that's brought great comfort and joy to my life, even in the midst of trials and suffering. And in Isaiah 43, I think it's verses 2 through 4, he says this. God Almighty says to us, fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, your Savior. And the promise here is that he goes with us. And that's a wonderful promise that each one of us need to take to heart. We need to bury that in our heart. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the midst of struggle, we need to remember we're not alone. We're not alone. Jesus is with us. And that's the promise we need to stand on in the midst of the suffering when we don't understand what in the world is happening. God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, has called us by name and will walk with us through our pain and through our suffering. There's this quote I came across this week, um, and it's actually, I've never read this book. I'm now looking forward to reading it. It's by Tim Keller, and it's from The King's Cross. And where Keller says this, and um, I just, just hear what he's saying here. It's powerful, I believe. And when you suffer, you may be completely in the dark about the reason for your own suffering. It may seem as senseless to you as Jesus' suffering seemed to the disciples. But the cross tells you what the reason isn't. It can't be that God doesn't love you. It can't be that he has no plan for you. It can't be that he's abandoned you. Jesus was abandoned and paid for our sins so that God the Father would never abandon you, would never abandon us. The cross proves that he loves you and understands what it means to suffer. It also demonstrates that God can be working in your life even when it seems like there is no rhyme or reason for what is happening. Church, as we begin this new year, pledge to follow God wherever he takes you on your faith journey. Be not afraid to take risks for your faith when and if trials come your way. Be not afraid. That's the command throughout scripture. Be not afraid. And why are we not to be afraid? Because Jesus is with us. You can stand and cling to that promise. He is with us. Remember to trust in the one who suffered for you and look to and expect, and I want to say this carefully and listen carefully, look to and expect the people of God to be agents of comfort for your soul. And church, we see those enduring struggles in our midst. As we see them enduring struggles, be willing to step out in faith and serve them with kind words and acts of love. Don't be afraid. Jesus can supernaturally enable you, enable us to bless those who are mourning, those who are suffering. Much like the wise men who risked everything to meet and worship Jesus, our faith journey may this year demand courage and resilience in the face of adversity. You know, the traveling wise men were not merely on a journey, rather they were going to worship the king. When they arrived at the home of Jesus, what did they do? Verse 11 says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, 
and they bowed down and worshipped him. They paid homage to Jesus and gave gifts to him as an expression of their worship. Our journey of faith is really a daily surrender of ourselves to the worship of Jesus. It's a heartfelt bowing down in adoration, awe, and wonder at Jesus. We are called to willingly offer all that we have and all that we are for God's use. And here's the beauty of worshiping the living God. God does not leave us as he found us. Worshiping Jesus, obeying him, and following him isn't about filling our heads simply with knowledge or wisdom or understanding. We can have great knowledge of Jesus. We can know theology. We can know apologetics. As James says, you believe that there's one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Church, if our lives are not being changed and transformed by Jesus, by the gospel, then can we really say that we know him? I encourage you, each of you out here have made pledges. I can almost guarantee if we had took a poll right now, probably 70% of you made some form of a pledge this year to get healthy, to, be, to eat more healthy, to exercise more, to do something. But did you include in that pledge to grow spiritually, to deepen your heart and your life for Jesus? Did that ever cross your mind? And if it didn't, why didn't? Because it should. We're not just to grow and think about life from just from the point of being healthy. Being healthy spiritually means obeying and following Jesus to wherever and whatever he may call us to do. Has the word of God taken deep root into your soul? Into your heart? So that your life is being transformed and renewed daily? Are you living by grace in your heart? and in relationship with those in your community. The wise men came away from Jesus changed. They were transformed by their encounter and their worship of him. Think about it. They didn't have to depart back to their homeland via a different route. They could have returned to Herod. They would have been expected to. And yet meeting Jesus so changed them that they willingly risked their lives by not returning to Herod. God is always and continues to be in the business of transforming and changing people like you and me. How many times, if you look at scripture, how many times in scripture has God changed the course of life for someone in the Bible? Do you recall Jacob wrestling with God back in Genesis? That encounter transformed Jacob so much that his name was changed from Jacob, meaning the deceiver, to Israel, meaning he who strives with God. Jacob's encounter with God marked a pivotal moment in his spiritual journey. It reflected a deep longing for God's blessing and an acknowledgement of his need for divine intervention in his life. Or take the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, upon entering God's presence, he declared, Woe is for me, for I am lost, a man of unclean lips. His encounter with God completely and overwhelmingly transformed him. And here's the thing for us, church. God is the spark in us for change. And it's not just in us, but in our situations as well. We can look to him, cling to him, because he has promised to work out his will and his word in our hearts and our lives. If we will come and encounter him, if we will spend time with him, whether that's through prayer and through scripture, you can't expect to be transformed by Jesus by coming here for an hour on Sunday mornings. It doesn't work that well. 
It doesn't work that well. You need to be encountering him daily in your own personal devotions. You need to be encountering him in community, not just alone. Church, walking in the presence of Jesus will bring profound changes within us. Worship changes us. Worship with God's people changes us. And as you enter into this new year, don't fail to worship your king. Don't fail to worship with God's people. For in worship, we are changed because we have encountered the triune God of the universe. And we're not just encountering him. He's encountering us. He's changing us from the inside out. Church, we, my prayer for us this coming year is that we as a body will cling to and trust Christ, whatever his good plan for us brings. You can trust him and know that he will never leave you and that he is always with you, both in the good days and the bad days. And I encourage you, there will be bad days. You need to know that you're not alone, that Christ goes with you, will be with you. And this body, we can grow into strengthening and encouraging those who are suffering and those who are per persecuted, those who are struggling. We as a body can come aside them and love them and care for them. But we have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to trust in Christ enough that when we feel uncomfortable, we will still enter into the lives of those who are hurting around us. And I know that's not easy. It takes trust that Jesus can do something in us that makes us feel really, really hard. That's really, really hard or makes us feel really uncomfortable. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, the Magi were wise men and they show us the way of true wisdom, seeking you, the incarnation of wisdom, worshiping you with everything we have and are. Teach us to live boldly and confidently for you, not shying back from our world, but stepping out in faith as little lights of Christ in this dark world. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.